we are here to have some fun. We're here to party. Now, someone one time gave me, took issue with me saying stuff like that, that Jesus was the biggest party animal. I want you to know the world, no one celebrates like God. No one celebrates like the Lord. The Lord has more joy than you in his little pinky than you could ever have in an entire lifetime. In fact, an eternity, it's going to take an eternity for us to exhaust his pinky of joy. And so when I say party, I don't mean the world's party. I mean the Lord's party because he rejoices over his good creation. He rejoices over you. He rejoices when people renew their faith in him when they repent and come home to him. God loves to celebrate, and uh, we're going to be celebrating today as we kick off our Christmas season, and we celebrate this amazing time of year. We take time to celebrate one of the most amazing things in human history, God with us. All right, before we get into that, I want to I get you in the, in, the, in the mood for this moment we're about to look at. It's a miraculous moment. It's kind of hard to believe. So I want to show you that crazy things do happen. All right? Okay, here we go. My buddy, Mike Lee, uh, you know, we weren't best friends, but I knew the guy. You know, he was a year behind me at Mission Bio High School. And in 1993, he put in his yearbook picture, senior class of 1983, Chicago Cubs, 2016, world champions. You heard it here first. Now, what's crazy about this is that if you don't know baseball, the Cubs at this point had not won in like 90 years. They're not the Yankees, right? They're not like, oh, of course, they're going to win eventually. No, 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 no. But not only did he have so much conviction to claim it, that they're going to win, he claimed that they're going to win in 2016. And here it was on November 2nd, 2016, the Cubs won the World Series. Uh, okay, we got some Cubs fans. <laughs> uh, we had some, uh, they were playing, I think, the, the Indians who are now the Guardians, you know, and they were like, I almost walked out of church, you know. Hey, sorry about that. But, you know, God's at work, even in defeat. Come on, God's here, even in your defeat. God's moving. But isn't that crazy? This guy predicted 23 years before it happened that they were going to win that year. How do you explain that? Well, so they asked him, where'd you get this idea from? He goes, well, in third grade. I had a dream, and I was at the Cubs stadium, and there's this big red sign, the Wrigley uh, sign, outside the, the ballpark, and it said, he said, in my dream, I saw it, and it was all lit up, and it said, Cubs, you know, win World Series 2016, and uh, Harry Carey, their, you know, announcer was announcing, home run, home run, the Cubs win it, and he woke up, and he held on to that, and said, I'm going to make that my senior year and claim it. So the year that they won, it was circulating. I think it gave them a boost. It circulated. Man, that guy is getting free drinks all over Chicago, I'm sure. <laughs> that guy's not buying a single drink himself. Now, this is amazing, okay? All right? This happened. You can't argue with this. I mean, there it is in the yearbook. It happened. Now, I don't know how you explain that, but we're going to look at something even more amazing, all right? Because not 23 years later, but 700 years before uh, this moment we're about to look at in Gospel of Luke, Isaiah, the prophet, made a prediction. Let's look at it together. He said this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is the moment, 700 years later, after Isaiah calls it, kind of like the Babe Ruth, you know, shot caller, Isaiah, the ultimate shot caller, boom, home run right there, right field. He's calling it. 
And we're going to read the moment where this is fulfilled. So join me as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, a moment of fulfillment. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a ton of Galilee, to a, to a virgin. All right? You guys were a little uncomfortable saying that. He said, all right, you can say that. And it comes right out of here, and we're going to explain what the significance of that is. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't that a great word verse right there? Memorize that sucker. Woo! Verse 37. That's a good one. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. You know, then the angel left her. All right, so, so, you know, Emmanuel calls it, right? He calls it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a virgin. Now, that word in the Hebrew and in the Greek, that term can be used to describe somebody who's not yet been married and been with child, or it can just describe a young maiden. And so, you know, scholars, they debate what was he really referring to, but why else would she reference that word and that state of being if it were not because how impossible is it for her to have a child when she's not even married? So it's not just that she's young. It says she's not married and is not in a relational capacity to have a child. And this was a mystery to scholars from Isaiah's time all the way up to this moment. Nobody knew how to make sense of this. And even more mysterious was the name that Isaiah gave to this child. You will call him Emmanuel. Now, you know, when you look at the passage, his name is not Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. So did he get it wrong? No. Emmanuel is meant not to be his proper name, but was meant to describe the significance of what his life and birth would mean for the world. So what does Emmanuel mean? That word, that name, it means God with us. And in some unprecedented way, in some radical new way, God was coming to be with us and to be among us through this child's birth, that this child's birth would signify, signify a new era in human history in which God would be uniquely dwelling among humans and available to us in a way that was never before experienced. So that's what we see in Jesus' birth, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the promise of God with us. Maybe you're kind of like, Oh, see, I don't buy this because this is 2,000 years ago. And I think if God showed up and was now with us, things would look a little different. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like you kind of feel like if God really showed up, wouldn't the world be radically different? Everything is new. 
right? It's like, I don't know. I remember when I got married and we were coming back from our honeymoon. It felt like everything was new. Next thing you know, it's back home and we're washing dishes and doing chores and it's ordinary life. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like normal. That's weird. And it was so weird to be in my ordinary life, now with this other person. Things were different, but things were kind of the same too. And it's a little bit like that with God. God, through Jesus' birth, came to dwell among us and be with us in a really radical way, which is why our series is called Surprised by Joy. In the same way that God surprised Mary with this news, I hope this morning God surprises you with his promise to be with you. So we're going to dwell on this idea of God being with us, and we're going to unpack it in two ways. We're going to look at what it meant for Mary for God to be with her, and my hope is by looking at what it meant for Mary that you will begin to see what it means for God to be with you. I'm going to keep this message really simple and straightforward because the, the way that Mary carried this child is pregnant with spiritual symbolism for us today. So let's start with Mary, and then we'll talk about what it means for us. Mary, what did this moment mean for her? Okay, so we're going to start with, ver- I got three little things about Mary and what it meant for her, and then we'll relate it to us. So let's start with verse 28. It says here, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So God surprises Mary, and when he surprised her, he surprised her with an affirmation of favor and honor that she didn't expect, right? Like, I want to challenge you men to greet, uh, you, know, if you know, the women in your life with that kind of greeting. Imagine you just start greeting your wife like that. Every morning you wake up and go, you know, wait, what is it right here? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want to challenge you. You're going to put an extra step in your wife's life Every morning you wake up and give her that blessing. Greetings, woman, highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, it surprises Mary. Maybe you would be surprised to experience that reception by God. If you met with God, is that what you would expect? Or maybe you would imagine God pulling out the naughty list on your life. Maybe he'd show up and go, oh, what's up, Mike? I see you, Mike. I know what you did last night. Come on, Mary. Come on, Jennifer. I'm throwing out random names here. (laughs) I know what you did last night. I got the whole list right here. But what's so cool in this moment is this angel shows up with this word of grace. This moment right here, he says, highly favored. That Greek word for highly favored is the same word, charis, that's used for the word grace. He goes, highly grace. What is grace? It is the unmerited, unearned, unconditional favor of God on our life. And God's favor is unearned and unconditional. However, the experience of that favor and goodness does have conditions. And we'll talk about that. But that God wants to show up in your life and call forth honor and dignity and blessing on your life That is because God loves you and there's nothing you can do to snuff out that impulse of God toward you in your life. And so, who is Mary? Mary is no one of significance. She's not in the temple like Zechariah last week. 
Come on, last week we got a great message from a man, Nick, about Zechariah in the temple and Gabriel showed up there. Remember that moment? You know, he's in the temple, in the holy place. But now we're as far away from the temple as you can almost get. We're in the backwaters of Nazareth. There's no major road to Nazareth. This is the middle of nowhere. In English, we say Timbuktu, or maybe we say in Spanish, La Quinta Ferreira, or we say in Por San Pedro. It is out in the middle of nowhere. And yet the angel shows up to her and kind of shows us God's heart for the everyday average person. And maybe you can put yourself in her shoes because you're thinking, hey, there's nothing special about me that would make God want to give me attention. And that's Mary. And we, this first point here, what does it mean that God's presence is with her? It's, the first point is this, it's radical grace. So I want to show you the image of Mary from this painting um, by Henry of Sawa Tanner in 1898, actually the first African-American painter to, to, to acquire international um, respect and you know, recognition. I love his painting because he paints Mary here. You can see in this moment her humility, how young she is, and you can see her vulnerability, right? She's not sitting there like with an Instagram shot, you know, like a TikTok, boom, look my best version of myself right now. She's humble, vulnerable, and it's the grace of God that meets us in our humility, in our vulnerability, that says something about the way that God comes into our life. Let's go to the second one. So the first is radical grace, unmerited favor, the desire of God to call out in you your God-given dignity. The second is this, in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, later in verse 35, Gabriel calls and identifies Jesus as the Son of God. And all Mary can do, she has, can make no sense of this, all she can do is say, how could this be? Right? She doesn't understand yet. She doesn't have a theology of incarnation or immaculate conception or the Trinity. All she can say is, how could this be? But right here in this moment, this child that's about to be born inside of her, that's about to be conceived in her, is none other than the Son of God. And I want to unpack the mystery and the profundity of this moment. Because if you're not a Christian, you're here with us this morning, you're, we're about to confirm your worst fear. We Christians are a little crazy. Because we believe that God took on human form through Jesus to walk among us. Yes, it's true. We believe it. So watch. In Colossians 2.9, Paul writes this, For in Christ lives all the what? Fullness of God. Not a quarter of God. Not a little bit of God. A thumbnail of God. An ounce of God. Not a pinch of God. A sprinkle of God. We're talking the fullness of God in a human body. Now you guys say, you think that offends your intellectual sensibilities. You guys, the, the Jews at the time would have been even more offended because they were so, such strict monotheists. They were so committed to the idea of having no idolatry, no images of God. And so unlike all the other world at, at the time, if you were to go to any other temple of this period, they would have a statue of their God, like, like, a, like an image of a man or a woman or some thing. But if you went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, there would have been an empty chair, the Ark of the Covenant, above which God dwelled. 
That would have been what they had in there because you didn't want to, to denigrate God's greatness by carving some silly image. So this moment is even more scandalous for them. But the idea here is that in a mysterious way, God is dwelling in this child. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't still even understand how microwaves work. So I can't even understand this. And there are things we just don't, can't make sense of. But some of us are of that engineering mind. My son, his, the window broke to the passenger side of his car. And so now it has turned into his, uh, you know, his teenage Lego toy. It's completely dismantled in pieces. And he, I said, son, we can just take it, get fixed. We can take it somewhere. He's like, no, no, I, I can do this, dad. So it's completely dismantled because he likes to understand how things work. Are you like that? Like you don't trust it if you can't explain it or understand it. Those kind of people that need to know how things work. This is one of those things that we just can't fully grapple with. That the mystery of God living in a human being, the maker of the universe contained in a human baby. It's it's a mystery. I know, maybe that's not very satisfying. But it does speak to the second significance of God with Mary, and that is real radical intimacy. Because in the same way that Mary is hardwired to carry a baby, get this, guys, you are hardwired in a profound way in your soul to carry the presence of God. See, Mary's carrying of this child is a metaphor of the way in which we carry God in our life. It's a historical real moment, and I believe this moment happened, But even more incredible is the idea that God has created you to dwell within. God wants to live not just in your life in the metaphorical sense. As we'll see, he wants to dwell in you in a supernatural, spiritual way. Okay, so the third. So first, radical grace, radical intimacy. God wants to be close to us. Third, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is the third radical change. So Mary's like, how are you going to do this, God? How are you going to get your life into me? I'm just like, this little Mary, and you're going to fit your son into me. How is that even possible? It's inexplicable. And she says, how will this be? And all the angel can say is this, it will be the power of the Most High. And he just summarizes it right here. And this speaks to the radical change that God brings to our life when God's presence comes near. When God comes to dwell in our life, he brings radical grace, radical intimacy, but that radical intimacy is going to change you. It's going to change your life. And I always like to joke about, you know, my wife and I getting married, and now all of a sudden, rather than going out and surfing on Saturday morning, it was washing the bathroom because my wife had a level of cleanliness that I had never even imagined in my wildest (laughs) dreams. And so, yes, things changed. Things change when God's life comes into our life. When we allow God to come near, things are going to change. You see, maybe it's not just that you can't see God, which is why it's hard to believe. Maybe there's other barriers to actually believing that God is real. Maybe it's not just because you don't have enough proofs or evidences. Maybe there is something within your heart that is afraid of surrendering your life to his control. Because when you let God into your life, he's going to change your life. For Mary to let this child into her life before she's married, to have a child out of wedlock, you guys, 
in this period of time, see, for us today, I don't know, it's a little bit scandalous, maybe, maybe not. But in this day, she would have been stoned. She would have been absolutely ostracized from her community. And so we'll see in a couple of weeks, Joseph, when he hears that she has a child and they haven't even gotten married, he starts planning to break off their engagement. But he wants to do it discreetly because he doesn't want to expose her to violence and the risk of physical harm from the community. But you guys, this is going to change her life and flip her life upside down. And there's a bit of a risk involved. It requires to receive God's presence in our life us to be vulnerable and humble. Radical change. So here we go. Radical grace, radical intimacy. God wants to be near and radical change. God's going to change you in a radical way. So I want to just bring this down, what this means for us. Let's shift gears. So what about us and what happens when we let God dwell in our life? All right. So in this moment, you know, you look at this moment, and it's a messenger and he comes with this supernatural message. And I'm not an angel and I'm not as glorious as Gabriel, no doubt. But I am carrying a supernatural message, and I want to share that with you. And I want to invite you right now to consider more, this moment is more than just you listening to like a, you know, a middle-aged guy, you know, preach a good word to you. You're listening to the word of God that if you will open your heart, will open your life to God dwelling within you with greater fullness than you've ever experienced before. Maybe some of you have never opened your life to God. And I hope you'll hear this moment as an invitation like Mary. So here we go. Let's dig into it. What does it mean for us? Well, number one, there's a message, just like Gabriel had a message for her. It's, and it, here it is. In John 1:14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That's what's happening through Mary right now. The word is becoming flesh in her. And I want to I just unpack the meaning of truth and grace. Let's start with uh, the truth. What truth did Jesus come to bring? Here it is. The truth is that God came to bring was that you were created to live in intimate, personal relationship with God as your heavenly father. And God's real. And you were made to be close to God and any attempt to live life apart from that relationship with God leaves a huge vacuum in the center of our life. In fact, your life can never be fulfilled until God is at the center of your life. Now, I know, don't run out the door yet. Give me a second before you leave. I know that might sound offensive. Like, you might think, are you kidding me right now? I've got, look at this good-looking lady right next to me. My life is fulfilled. Look at my watch. Woo, my watch is like the next-gen watch, you know. Look at my job. Look at my, have you seen my house, man? Have you seen what I have done? Have you seen my IQ? Did you see my SAT score? Come on. I think I'm pretty fulfilled. You see, listen, these are the gifts of God. See, if you're not a Christian, I want you to explain this to you. These are the gifts of God, and they are meant to awaken our soul to the goodness of God. Let me show you how. Okay, so in the Bible, it says this, that God makes his son, the son, to shine on the righteous or the believer and the unbeliever so that through God's good creation, we would be drawn to him. It also says in the Bible that God leads us with kindness 
to repentance. His kindness, his gifts, his goodness are meant to awaken us to his goodness in our life. And that apart from him, our life can never be fulfilled any more than you can be fulfilled by the best Christmas present. Because right? sometimes Christmas is all about the present, right? But the present is a reflection of that love, that value that the giver has for you. The fact that they thought about you, thought, what's the right size sweater this year? You know, what's the right size robe for my, you know, I'm joking, those are not really the best Christmas gifts, but you know what I mean. Whatever they might be. But it's a reflection of the giver. It's God's way of revealing himself to us. Those are gifts. But the truth is you're made to be in relationship with the giver. The grace. The grace is that Jesus went to the cross to make a way for us to recognize God. See, I talked earlier about if God had come to earth, wouldn't we see it? Wouldn't it be obvious? Don't you think it would be more obvious to us if God was among us, if God was with us in a special way? Well, I want to share a quick story with you how we don't always recognize what's right in front of us. I've shared this story before, but this is for all you newbies. Um, I was leaving my, back in my 20s, I was leaving my condo, and I was going to Sears to go buy an engagement ring, and I run into a good friend of mine, and she goes, hey, Ryan, what's up? What are you doing today? I go, I'm going to buy engagement rings. And she's like, whoa, that's huge. She's like, congratulations. And I tell her how excited I am, so we go our separate ways. I go to Sears. I look at rings. I get all the, you know, the details about it. That summer, me and that gal that were about to get engaged, we broke up. And we broke off the relationship. And that fall, my friend who I ran into saw me. And she's like, hey, how did your engagement go? I'm like, well, actually, we broke up. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't be. It's all good. It's all good. And uh, four years later, I ended up marrying that friend. So I want you to picture the irony of the moment. There I am telling my future wife, hey, where are you going? I am going to get engagement rings for my soon-to-be wife. And imagine God in heaven just getting a good laugh out of that moment. <laughs> Could you see Gabriel? God, you want me to get down there? No, no, just, just, just this, this is too good. Just hold back. <laughs> well, they'll figure it out. Stay back, Gabriel. But here's the point, and, and, and I want to get serious, that sometimes the thing that we're looking for is right in front of us, but we don't have eyes to see it. Now, I'm just giving you an example, but it's true, right? Like, Nothing changed about her the day I proposed to her. Four years later, when I proposed to her, she, was, she didn't grow an inch. She didn't, you know, shorten an inch. She didn't change her hair color. She didn't change her name. She's the same person. So what was it? See, it wasn't with my eyes that I was failing to see her. It was with my heart, right? Like, I didn't know her. And why is that? Well, because I was distracted by this other person. She was dating somebody else, too. And she was distracted. Maybe that's why it's hard for us to recognize God. Not because he hasn't given us enough evidence. Because the Bible says that we can recognize God's invisible attributes through creation. Through the gifts in our life. His love. The fact that you are wired for personal relationship is evidence of a spiritual truth. That you are created for relationship forever. It's a spiritual truth. The reason why I didn't recognize her was because I was distracted. And in the same way, 
That's what sin is. Sin is being distracted from God, the giver of good gifts, distracted by our gifts. The good things in our life, our natural abilities, our gifts, our natural talents, our possessions, our relationships, they are good. But when they take center stage in our life, we have replaced the giver with the gift. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died to set us free from living our lives for gifts and to begin to live our life with the giver himself. Jesus' death heals us of sin, which is the need to find fulfillment in ourself. To be saved, to be in relationship with God. But that's God's grace. Because on the cross, Jesus died to free us and to forgive us for living our lives apart from him. It's not a message of doom and gloom. It's a message of love. However, that relationship with God is so serious and so vital that if we choose to live without God in this life, listen, it becomes permanent. If you reject God in this life, that separation between you and God becomes forever. That's what Christians call hell. And, you know, it gets all this caricature, this bad, and it misses the point. Hell is a way of describing the anguish of that loss of relationship with God, apart from whom we cannot find fulfillment. And so God sends messengers into our life to awaken our soul with his grace that we are loved and his truth that we need to be saved. Where are you at in your relationship with God? How would you right now in your life describe your own relationship with God? Maybe you're kind of like a skeptic, you know. I don't know about that, all that God stuff. If God were more real, he would show himself, right? There's too many religions. Everyone's confused. There cannot be a real God. But listen, guys, I mean, I bet many of us who are married probably dated multiple people. Just because there's multiple people out there doesn't mean there isn't someone that you're going to be with. And think about that with God. There's all kinds of ideas about God, but they're not saying the same thing. They're saying different things about God. And we get distracted and go, well, there's no way you can really know. Or maybe you're a bit of like a, you're curious. You're wondering if there's a God. Or maybe you're open and you're actually seeking. And maybe you're here this morning because a friend invited you and you're actually curious and open to this amazing idea that God wants to dwell with you. Well, in a minute, I'm going to invite the band up, but I want to show you one more verse before we go. And it ties in the whole story of Mary. Look at this moment right here. In Ephesians 3.16, watch what Paul is praying. This is this amazing idea of God living in us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, actually, let's read this out loud together. It's so good. I want us to jump into it. Come on, read it out loud with me. Ready? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yeah, Ben, go ahead and start kicking up some vibes. You can see how similar this is to Mary. I mean, look at this. Spirit, power, inner being. This moment with Mary is a historical moment, but it's really like a metaphor for all of us too. The radical idea that God doesn't want to just walk beside you, go before you. He wants to live inside of you. Your soul was created 
to be the dwelling place of God. And that is the, that is the irreducible dignity and gravitas of your human life. Your life has value, profound value, because God has deemed your life his desired dwelling place. And that's amazing. Do you know without a doubt that God is living in you and dwelling with you and walking with you and putting into your life his radical grace, his radical intimacy, and his radical change to transform you into the person you were created to be. If you go into this song right now, I just want to invite you to consider where you are at with God. And if maybe this morning it's your chance, like Mary, to receive Christ into your life. You probably received um, the elements on the way in, but if you have not received those yet and you want to take part in communion, I would just raise your hand really high up while we're still seated so that they can see you. Um, But I also just want to invite you, whatever posture you want to take right now, um, if you want to stay seated and reflect, you can do that. If you want to stand, do that. You want to lay down in the aisle, you can do that too. for the moment Well, I'm still in your presence All noise dies down Lord, speak to me now You have all my attention I will linger and listen I can't miss a thing Lord, I know my heart wants more of you My heart wants something new, so I surrender all. All I want is to live within your love, be undone by who you are. My desire is to know you this moment that we're about to partake in communion is um, it's, it's predicated on a historical moment when Jesus had his last dinner with his disciples and he took the, uh, the traditional elements of the meal, the bread, the wine, those Passover elements, and he bestowed on them a new significance that was about to be fulfilled through his death on the cross. And um, it represents Jesus' body sacrificed and given for us 
to restore us and renew us in that relationship with God we were created to be in. God with us is what the Bible is all about. If you want to know the cliff notes in the Bible, this is it. You were created to be with God and we have walked away from God and God is pursuing you to bring you back to him. But there are barriers in our life that keep us from trusting God, that get in the way, the ways in which we try to live our life without him. Living our life according to the measure of our gifts rather than the measure of God's infinite and inexhaustible love and truth. This moment with Mary, he comes down and it's like when I hand out lollipops to the kids, you know, at first they're kind of afraid of me because I'm have i a big, big guy. See, what do I do? You know, I get down on my knees and I get down at their level and pretty soon, you know, even the three-year-olds will come up and come and get their lollipop. That's what God is doing in this moment through Mary. He's coming down to live with us an ordinary human life, living, breathing, eating, sleeping, to reveal himself to us. How does a transcendent, all-knowing being reveal himself to a finite little creature like us? He came and took on our life to speak our language, stooping down to our level. But he stooped all the way. He stooped even into our brokenness and into our pain and into our sin. And that, my friends, is why he died, was to absorb in himself the sin, the brokenness, the evil, the injustice in our life that keeps us from him. The sin that we've committed, the sins that have been committed against us. He died on the cross to heal and free us from it. And that, like Mary, if we will receive and believe in him, we will be saved. If you're not a believer and you want to open your life like Mary to Jesus and receive him, I want to invite you to join us in this practice and let it be a symbol of you as we take in the bread and the juice. Let it be a symbol of receiving Jesus as your Savior into your life. Let's start by taking off that top layer, that little thin layer. It's this little wafer. Jesus lifted up the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this in remembrance of Jesus' body broken for us. And then he held up the wine and he said, this wine represents my blood, the blood I'm about to shed on the cross, the blood that is for the forgiveness of your sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Because he needed to absorb the sickness and the, and the death that had taken over our life in order to free us and heal us. And he did, my friends. He absorbed it into himself that we might be set free. When you drink this, you're drinking this as a declaration of his forgiveness over all your sin, past, present, future. Let's drink this in remembrance of him. Listen, guys, as we wrap up, listen, I'm going to have a prayer team up here at the front. Prayer team, come on up. Prayer team, yeah, get up here. And if you may want to open your life to Jesus, if you made that decision and communion represents you receiving Jesus for the first time in your life or renewing your faith, would you just let us pray for you? We would love to pray for you. There's a table outside also where you can go and um, 
Want us to get your information? We'd love to give you some free gifts. We have free, a free Bible and other gifts we'd love to give you. But for the rest of you, I want to pray a closing blessing. Lord, I pray that you would send us out of here today surprised by this radical message that, God, you want to live inside of us. May the joy of that truth be renewed in us, and may we be messengers like Gabriel, carrying it outside these walls to those in our life. And may others be, begin to join us throughout this season to hear this amazing good news. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My friends, I'll see you outside.